Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. In today's show, my co-host is Doug Wortham, and we're going to learn how the VA is taking care of our women veterans and check in with the VA National Cemetery System. But first, it's time for, generally speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Chaplains play an important role in our armed forces. Whether our service members are Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, or one of the hundreds of other faith traditions, our chaplain corps is ready to meet their spiritual needs. Embedded in units across the force, our chaplains advise our commanders and ensure the free exercise rights for all service members are upheld, including those who hold no faith tradition. Chaplain teams spiritually enlighten and rejuvenate us during good times and console and heal us during the bad. They have answered a higher calling to their faith and their fellow service members. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. As I mentioned, my co-host today is the uh, retired Command Sergeant Major of the Minnesota National Guard, Doug Wortham. And Doug, as a recently retired Command Sergeant Major, during your career in the military, uh, there probably weren't too many women there when you started. And when you left, there's a large percentage of the uh, soldiers and airmen serving in the Minnesota National Guard are women. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And, you know, I had the uh, the opportunity really to serve with women throughout my entire career. When I first uh, came in, I was in a military police uh, unit, and uh, we were fully integrated. But uh, having grown up through the ranks, other experiences, I did see where uh, units weren't as integrated yet. And I was a part of uh, helping to do some of that integration when I was in the engineer battalion. And, uh, yeah, we've come a long ways inside the military, and it's great to see the female population grow inside the military. And it's great to have the guest we're going to have on today to talk about how do we, as a VA health system, actually provide for our female veterans uh, that might require different care than what our traditional male veterans required. And that makes it a great topic. And joining us now to talk about women's health at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare Center is Dr. Alyssa Duran, who is the medical director of women's health at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare Center. Doctor, uh, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Doctor, uh, I'd like to just uh, start with your career a little bit. Uh, I understand you're a graduate of uh, Iowa College of Medicine, and you served your residency at the University of Minnesota. That is correct. Um, I am a Hawkeye and a Gopher, so, you know, come football season, there's a little bit of a conflict there. One game a year is pretty tough then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. But we all know really kind of where you you lean when you're cheering, right? (laughs) Uh, I'm very conflicted. I I really go back and forth. I end up yelling at both teams during the game. (laughs) Very good, doctor. (laughs) We've talked on this show in the past, the relationship between the University of Minnesota and the and the VA health system goes way back to World War II, and uh, there's a lot of residents that uh, serve their residency at the at the VA, and and uh, a lot of the a lot of the nurses come over there. It's a great relationship, isn't it? It is. It is. And I, I actually uh, worked previously um, as a physician at the University of Minnesota, and I ran our residency program for internal medicine and and help to oversee the education of about 90 internal medicine residents a year who did part of their training here at the Minneapolis VA. So um, I have a long background with uh, with medical education and working with trainees at all different levels. So doctor, how long have you been at the Minneapolis VA healthcare system? So I am coming up on my five-year anniversary. So I started in June of 2017. 
Very good. And as we talked at the opening, Dr. Uh, you may not know this, I'm a Vietnam veteran of the United States Air Force, and when we were in Vietnam, there were some nurses and there were a few women, but very few. It was mostly men. And as we talked to uh, Doug, uh, the military, there's a larger and larger percentage of women serving. I think it's up to almost 25% of the Minnesota National Guard, and that means the number of women veterans is increasing quickly, and, and uh, of course, that's going to impact the VA healthcare system as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I believe that our female uh, female veterans are the fastest growing segment of our veteran population. And so it's critical that we uh, continue to grow and adapt our medical system in order to, to support the health of those veterans. We're speaking with Dr. Alyssa Duran from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System on Minnesota Military Radio. And uh, doctor, uh, you're in a, a unique position to be the medical director of women's health at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. Can you tell us what all is that uh, involved? So um, I, I oversee our, our program in women's health here at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare Center. So that involves um, oversight of our, of our clinical work here within our facility. We have a comprehensive healthcare center here for women's health. Um, but the vast majority of our, our female veterans seek care um, within our larger health care system. So that includes um, a number of CBOCs uh, within the state of Minnesota. Um, I'm involved with, um, with reviewing uh, physicians who have an interest in becoming a designated women's health provider. Um, and I review their qualifications and uh, get them designated as a, a a women's health specific provider for our veterans. Um, and then any of our, um, I work collaboratively with a number of other services uh, in our facility uh, that focus their efforts on providing care for our female veterans. So we, um, we have a, uh, eight primary care teams here uh, within our women's clinic um, that serve a, a large chunk of uh, our female veteran population. And so we provide primary care um, to that group of veterans. So we focus a lot on different preventive services like screening for breast cancer, screening for cervical cancer, um, and management of other acute and chronic medical conditions. Um, we work very closely with uh, mental health, um, just with the burden of, of mental health uh, issues within our vet female veteran population. And we do have integrated mental health care here uh, into our women's health clinic. Um, we're extremely fortunate that we have a clinical nurse specialist um, who works uh, in mental health with, with us, and she is able to prescribe medications for our veterans. And we also have a PhD psychologist that works in conjunction with our team as well. And so if we have a veteran in crisis, we're able to do a same-day handoff um, that, that same day and get uh, a veteran any type of urgent mental health care that they need. Uh, we have a, a pharmacist, a PharmD, uh, who works within our clinic as well. Um, he is part of our PAC team. The PAC team is a, the patient-aligned care team, and it's a model of, of providing care um, for, uh, for veterans where the, vent, the veteran themselves is at the center of the team. And there's a number of different health care providers around that veteran that are working in conjunction with them on their goals of care. Um, and our PharmD does chronic disease management, smoking cessation therapy, and helps uh, also with management of mental health issues and chronic pain. 
Doctor, we've just got about a minute left. Can you tell us uh, how many women veterans do you take care of at the Minneapolis VA Medical Center and the outpatient clinics? So we have uh, approximately 8,500 female veterans uh, currently enrolled enrolled at the end of the last fiscal year. And um, for those receiving care um, that aren't fully enrolled, there are approximately 9,600. And we anticipate we'll add another approximately 1,000 veterans um, to that over the next 10 years. So we are anticipating growth. And that means you have to take a look at your facilities. And, Doctor, when we come back, we're going to talk about, I think the the women's clinic was remodeled in the last couple of years, and there's some plans for a new one coming up. So uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that a little bit. We're speaking with Alyssa Duran, who is the Medical Director of Women's Health at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham, and we've been talking to Dr. Alyssa Duran, who is the Medical Director of Women's Health at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare Center. And, Doug, I know you had a question for her. Yeah, absolutely, Doctor. In the last segment, you talked about a bunch of the different services and the things that you're doing for our female uh, veterans. And, and what I'd like to know is, is there any restrictions or limitations that you have at the Minneapolis VA system Uh, for care as it relates to our female veterans? Sure. So one of the areas uh, that we don't currently provide active care within our facility is for um, obstetric care. So we do not deliver babies at the VA. Um, We do have a gynecologist on staff here um, that works with us um, and and does non-OB-related gynecologic care. So we end up contracting with, with medical groups in the community for obstetrical care. So we have a maternity care coordinator who is an RN uh, who has um, extensive background in obstetrics care who has been uh, working with a number of um, different health care groups in the community to provide OB care for our veterans. Doctor, I know that you've got a separate women's clinic within the building. That is the Minneapolis VA Medical Center. Uh, to some of our women, women veterans, uh, that can be a little overwhelming. It's a it's a big building with a lot of people and a lot of veterans running running around. Do any of the women veterans get a little nervous about coming in? And and do you have ways to help them? Absolutely, we do. Um, it it is a big facility and it can be overwhelming. Um, there, um, so we we do have. Um, services available uh, within our facility that can help to support our veterans. Um, We do have um, a patient advocate's office. Um, I have a veteran uh, recently who who had some concerns about um, some some prior interactions with folks within the medical center. And one of our patient advocates actually uh, worked with her and, and came with her to a couple of different appointments in order to help the veteran feel more comfortable. Um, so we have uh, we have a lot of people in our facility that are uh, strong advocates for our female veterans. We also have a, a huge number of volunteers within the facility um, that are here to, to assist our veterans um, when they're getting their care here with us. Um, I do think one of the one of the nice things um, we do have a new clinic that's going to be built. Um, we're going to be breaking ground in uh, spring of 2023. Um, and with that build, um, we're going to have our own separate entrance. So our female veterans, when they're coming here to get their care, do not then have to go through the main entrance of the hospital. They would be able to come in right through the doors of women's clinic. 
Um, we'll have lab available right next door within the specialty uh, care building. And um, we're hoping that it's going to create a, a safer and more welcoming environment for our veterans who, who may have some concerns about coming into the facility. Now, Doctor, we've been looking forward to the uh, breaking ground on the construction of that new clinic, but it seems as if it was slowed down a little bit by COVID-19 and some other projects. But uh, do you know when that's uh, scheduled to start now? So uh, the the anticipated um, date for breaking ground is spring of 2023. Uh, it will take approximately a year to build the clinic, um, and then we should be open for business. Um, the nice thing about the new clinic, in addition to what I already mentioned, um, is that we're going to have integrated uh, breast care services within the clinic as well. So patients can come to the clinic for their annual physical and walk in and get a mammogram the same day because that will be located in the same physical space as us. So, Doctor, I'm sure you factored in the growth in the number of women veterans. And are you going to be, will there be any limitations on what you can provide after you get that brand new facility opened up in a couple of years? Um, I mean, it's not going to change anything with regards to obstetrics care. That will still be done within the community. Um, the, the real limitation there is not having pediatric care available on site because we don't do pediatrics here at the VA. Um, but otherwise, I think it will allow a lot of op- opportunity for expansion. We're going to have a group uh, meeting space uh, within the new clinical space that will allow us to do classes uh, for our veterans. We've, we've done some initial discussions on what that m- may look like. We can do group nutrition classes or lactation classes for our pregnant veterans. Um, one of our mental health providers currently does uh, group yoga classes for female veterans, and we would then have the potential to do that live within that group class space. Um, and we're more than doubling the number of examination rooms that we currently have. So. Um, our hope is to grow, and I think we're going to be looking at how we can best market uh, the new facility and the new clinic and try to uh, bring in more of our veterans that are currently not receiving care at the Minneapolis VA. So we're really excited about the opportunity. Doctor, this is Doug jumping in here. Um, you, You really come across as having a great passion for uh, working with our female veterans, I mean, obviously, as the director of women's health, uh, that would tell us that you're very interested in taking care of our female population, our female veterans. Can you, if you can break down to that one thing, I mean, what is it that you are most excited about or the best part about working in the women's health uh, process or system inside the Minneapolis VA? Oh, gosh. One thing, huh? Well, I think first and foremost, it would be our veterans who come in and get their care with us. They, um, they are such a fascinating group of women. They have amazing life experiences that they share with us on a regular basis. Um, I, it, it's just such an honor to be able to provide this care for them. Um, I would say a close second is the team that we have here in Women's Health. Uh, we have such a dedicated team of, of healthcare professionals that show up every day for our nation's veterans. Um, and we're all incredibly vested in, in the mission of, of providing top-notch care for our female veterans. Uh, we work really well together as a team. Um, I've seen a lot of that come out uh, within the last couple of years. You know, you really... You really um, kind of bind together as a group uh, when you're going through a pandemic. Um, you, 
you you really come to rely on each other a lot. There were times where uh, we were incredibly busy taking care of patients uh, who were t- who were scared and sick with COVID, and um, I was just so impressed with the resilience and grit of the of the care team. Um, and there there is not a group of people uh, I would rather go to battle with. Really, and fighting a pandemic is like going to battle. Doctor, we just got a little over a minute left. Are you recruiting doctors and nurses and other staff for the women's clinic at the Minneapolis VA Medical Center and your and your outpatient clinics? So um, we currently um, are not actively recruiting um, any doctors. Uh, we have been uh, in the process of recruiting. Uh, some nursing staff to work as part of, um, we have a new strategic initiative that we've been working on to create a centralized PAP hub, and it's really going to change the way that we manage PAP smear testing for our veterans. Um, So we've been actively recruiting in in that regard. But um, otherwise, I I don't know of any other open positions, but that, that can change. You never know. Well, certainly, as you open that new women's clinic, you're going to need some more help. So any of our listeners out there, would, if they'd like to uh, join the, the crew at the Minneapolis VA taking care of our women veterans, I'm sure you can find a place for them. <laughs> We're always happy to talk with people. Doctor, just 30 seconds left. Any final thoughts about uh, women's health at the Minneapolis VA? No, but if we if we have any uh, female veterans that are out there and listening and you uh, are not currently getting your care at the Minneapolis VA, uh, we would love to talk to you. We'd love to have you in women's clinic. Um, talk to your friends who do get their care here. I know a lot of them are actually actively uh, talking with other veterans in the community, and we would love to have you join us. Very good, Doctor. I'd like, thank you for joining us today on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Alyssa Duran, the Medical Director of Women's Health at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham. And in a moment, we're going to check in on the VA National Cemetery System. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. Over the last year, I have traveled many miles visiting the facilities and staff that make up the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. During these visits, I have met hundreds of our team members, and I am humbled by the work that they do every day. I have been pleased with the attitude and professionalism that I have witnessed at the veterans' homes and in the programs and services staff. I continue to get unsolicited positive feedback in regards to the way our staff engages with veterans and their families throughout Minnesota. I am so proud of the work that they do for our nation's heroes. It is an extraordinary honor for me to represent the veterans here in Minnesota. I assure you that we are 100% dedicated to our mission of serving the Minnesota veterans and their families to ensure they get the care and benefits that they have earned. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. It's our pleasure to have a retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel with us, and his name is uh, John Knapp. Colonel Knapp, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Well, thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. Well, we found your music once again, sir, and just had to had to get you standing up to start the show. 
you know, I was already standing. I'm waiting for that. So I, I'm ready to go. You've tricked me before, but now I'm ready. Well, we're just trying to treat you with honor, sir. It's <laughs> always good to have a, have a Marine on the show to, to talk about some things. And today we're going to talk about the uh, National Cemetery Administration. But you've been on the Minnesota Military Radio with us a number of times because you usually join us on Memorial Day to tell us what's going on at the Fort Snelling uh, uh, Cemetery. Well, I, I can uh, talk about what's going on in the National Cemetery Administration system first, and then we can we can neck it down to Fort Snelling. Um, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know is that the uh, the National Cemetery Administration was founded by Abraham Lincoln back in 1862, and uh, today we operate 155 national cemeteries. Of course, Fort Snelling there in Minneapolis being one of them, and uh, we're caring for about 4.8 million veterans. In about and service members and family members in about 3.8 million graves, so across the nation. So, you know, it's important to know that we're ready, uh, day in and day out. We're ready to serve, and we're able to serve our nation's veterans and their families when they most need us. And Colonel, uh, I'd like the uh, listeners to know that you served as director, deputy director, and acting executive director at Fort Snelling National Cemetery between. Uh, August 2014th and December 2021, and we've enjoyed having you on the on the show, and you had an opportunity to take another position down in Florida. Yeah, uh, either fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what you look at, I'm, I'm now at Florida National Cemetery, which is a very large cemetery. It's uh, one of the second busiest of the 155. Fort Snelling is the fourth busiest of uh, the 155, so very busy cemeteries. There's a need, and you know, I always like to use the phrase that Marines run to the sound of the guns, and when there's a need, uh, get go there and uh, make sure you can help take care of veterans in another part of the country. 1.9 million veterans in Florida alone, so we're we're busy place. So you stepped up and moved up, and you're taking care of a of a bigger operation down in Florida. We wish you well. You did a great job up here in Minnesota, and and uh, we're going to miss having you on the show. But uh, fortunately, you introduced us to to one of your key people there, and he's going to join us on Memorial Day. Excellent, excellent. So, sir, uh, the National Cemetery uh, uh, Association or Administration, can you tell us uh, which veteran, what, what are the eligibility requirements to be buried in a national cemetery? Yeah, it's it's a great question. We get to ask that often, and we try to boil it down to some simple terms because one of the things that uh, veterans need to appreciate is, you know, every time Congress passes a law and a president signs it or passes a bill and the president signs it into law, sometimes there's new eligibility requirements we have to study and make sure. So what I, the purpose of me telling you that is sometimes the eligibility criteria can be quite complex. But for the far preponderance of veterans, you know, really just look at yourself. If you are a veteran that served your active duty period and served it and you did not receive a dishonorable discharge, you're going to be in an eligible category to be buried in a national cemetery. There's a couple other categories of people. Um, these are service members who may have died on active duty, active duty for training or inactive duty for training, or certainly their spouses uh, are eligible or minor child of a veteran, even if the veteran has passed first. Uh, and then a last category is what we call adult dependent children of a veteran. Uh, and there's a whole category for that. Uh, so that kind of covers 95% of the people. And, sir, uh, you spent quite a few years up here in, in Minnesota, uh, near Minneapolis or in Minnesota. How many national cemeteries are there? Uh, there's 155, Fort Snelling being the fourth busiest one there in Minnesota. 
and then uh, another one up in Fargo and some others uh, uh, relatively close to people in Minnesota? Oh, yes. Um, there's, uh, we opened one in uh, 19, 2019. Uh, that was in Fargo. And there's another one out in um, Wisconsin. It's called uh, Northwoods National Cemetery that opened in 2020. And these are smaller sites, not quite as big as Snelling. But that was all part of a strategic initiative to uh, attempt to, and we're going through one of the largest expansions in our history uh, right now across the country so that we can make sure we serve veterans. 95% of the veteran population has a burial option within 75 miles of their home. So that's why you're seeing these other ones build up where larger veteran populations are in the rural areas. So there's quite a few. We're speaking with retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel John Knapp on Minnesota Military Radio. And, sir, uh, here in Minnesota over the last decade or so, uh, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs has been active. They've been building uh, state state veterans cemeteries. We have one in Little Falls and one in Duluth, one in Preston, and a fourth one coming in Redwood Falls. Do they coordinate that activity with the National Cemetery Administration? They absolutely do, and Minnesota is a great place. They've gotten those three online and another one coming online. And remember I kind of said about the 95% of the veteran population having a burial option within 75 miles of their home? That's a very important part of the strategic uh, initiative to make sure that we partner with the states. And the state of Minnesota has been just fantastic. And uh, that gives a burial option. Uh, We partner. We help grant fund them to build them. And then the state, of course, maintains and operates them. We train together. They get their headstones from the federal government. Um, it's, a, it's a nice partnership to serve veterans uh, personally closer to their homes. And across the country, there's, about, there's 119 cemeteries just like those four we listed in Minnesota. So it's this kind of partnership with the VA and the state cemeteries, the state veteran cemeteries, is nationally. Sir, we just got about a minute left in this segment, but I know that when you were here in Minnesota, you you worked closely with the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, but you also worked with the Minneapolis VA healthcare system closely, and 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 it's more interactive between your organization and those than anyone might guess. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, you know the delivery of a, a wide range of benefits uh, to our our veterans is so important, and so collaborating with the other big branches of the VA, the hospitals, and the VBA, the Veteran Benefits Administration, which are all real close by there in Minneapolis, uh, is a real key partnership to make sure we can deliver and cross deliver you know services to our veteran population. We're speaking with the retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel John Knapp from the National Cemetery Administration on Minnesota Military Radio. We have to take a short break, sir. When we come back, we're going to talk more. Uh, Please stay with us. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio is Doug Wortham, and we've been talking with retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel John Knapp, who is part of the National Cemetery Administration and currently is the Deputy Director the Florida National Cemetery in Bushnell, Florida. And, and of course, he was up here taking care of the Fort uh, Snelling uh, National Cemetery for many years. And, Doug, you had a follow-up question for him. Yeah, I sure do. Sir, you talked about the requirements to be buried in a national cemetery. And, you know, there's some uh, things that someone would have to research on that just to get into that uh, eligibility requirement. But what I'm concerned about or what I'm interested in about are the the benefits. Are there any additional benefits that might come along with a veteran who— um, you know, through their honorable service and, and what they would get for uh, coming out and being buried in the uh, National Cemetery? 
Yeah, I guess yes. That's a great question, sir. And I and I um I would first thing I'd like to say is these benefits which the veteran has earned uh, for themselves as well as for their eligible family members uh, are at no cost. They already paid that cost with their service. So the the kind of things that they get with that uh, that benefit is obviously they get a gravesite in a national cemetery, and that's in any national cemetery that's open. <clears throat> they can uh, share that. Uh, gravesite with all their eligibility, eligible dependents. They get the opening and closing of the gravesite. They get a grave liner for a casketed burial, something like a like a large concrete vault. Um, they uh, they get, of course, the headstone upright, flat, or niche markers if they're going into a columbaria above ground. Get a burial flag. They get a presidential memorial certificate signed by the president, thanking them for their service. And um, there's the biggest one, I think, is they get a perpetual care of the gravesite, which if you look at old cemeteries around the country that are around churches and stuff, you'll see that sometimes they fall into disrepair. And we continue perpetual care day in and day out of those uh, of our heroes' gravesites. So, um, and the other thing that I think is important to answer your question is some of those benefits I just explained, such as the, the upright headstone or the marker, um, can be uh, extended to private cemeteries. So in other words, if you decide not to be buried in a national cemetery, you can still be buried in a private plot or a family plot and receive the headstone free of charge from uh, the federal government for your service. So things like that are important uh, for people to understand. So, sir, is there anything a veteran can do now as in terms of end-of-life planning for final burial in the national cemetery? Absolutely. Um, you know, first thing to do is advise, locate your important papers, such as your DD-214. Advise your family of uh, all the location of those discharge papers or papers, and make sure that they understand your wishes. Um, it's uh, very important. Uh, those documents are very important for the establishment in their time of need. And if you're really confused or concerned, let's say, about if you're eligible or not, we do have a program called Pre-Need Eligibility, and it's a simple form. You, you fill out that form. You can do it online on our website of www.cem.va.gov, and uh, the VA or the NCA will send you a letter telling you if you're eligible or not with a nice card that explains you know, what to do at your time of need. And, sir, I'm happy to report that it's easy to fill out because I did it, sent it in, and I've got the certificate, and if I can do it, anyone can do it. There you go. Colonel, I know you were up here for uh, from 2014 to 2021 taking care of our veterans moving into Fort Snelling. Are there any personal experiences that you might like to share from that time out there? Oh, my. Um, there's there's quite a few, uh, but I'll, I'll tell a, a short one. Um, so from time to time, we, we get uh, uh, veterans who perhaps were homeless, perhaps distant, you know, didn't have family that uh, were taking care of them or have no family. So in other words, they'd come unaccompanied to the cemetery. And um, I remember these every time they happen. We annotate them on our schedule. And uh, at their service, we'll provide full honors for them, and we'll ask the staff at the cemetery to come and stand in for them, and since they didn't have any family or friends that came. And those are always very emotional uh, because – you know, here's a person that served their country, uh, raised their right hand, went into harm's way, and uh, now we got to make sure we honorably take care of them. So it, it, it's always, uh, I see, anytime I attend one of those ceremonies and receive the flag on behalf of uh, the veteran, 
for the for the cemetery to fly on Memorial Day. Um, it's uh, it's a very uh, rewarding and very humble experience. So, Colonel, I remember when you gave me a tour of Fort Snelling that you mentioned that there were uh, the cremains would arrive at Fort Snelling and and uh, when you had enough of them, you'd have a cemetery and or a ceremony and bury those as well. Yeah, we'll we'll do a um, what we call a uh, direct honors ceremony for multiple uh, uh, veterans that have come in. Perhaps they moved away and they sent us their remains from California or New York or wherever they moved to, and maybe they originally from Minnesota. And uh, we'll be able to do a, an honor service reading their names to make sure that they get a proper send off. Sir, it was uh, comforting after I took that tour to know that you were leading Fort Snelling with your staff out there and, and treating our veterans as they die and move into Fort Snelling with such honor and respect. I'd like to thank you for doing such a great job. Sir, it's an honor and a privilege to serve the nation and our veterans in this manner, and I thank you for what you do getting the word out to our veterans. My pleasure, sir, and we wish you all the best uh, as Deputy Director of Florida National Cemetery in Bushnell, Florida, and uh, keep up the good work, sir. Thank you, sir. That was uh, retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel John Knapp from the National Cemetery Administration on Minnesota Military Radio. Joining me now is the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper. Sergeant Major, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sergeant Major, i got a special co-host in the studio today. It's a former State Command Sergeant Major, Doug Wortham, and he's got some questions for you. Well, hey, uh, great to hear from you, uh, Brian, and we'll, we'll kick it off right away. I think this is a, a great event uh, relationship that the Minnesota Guard has had with, uh, with Norway, and I understand that uh, that partnership's 49 years strong. The uh, Norwegian exchange is happening uh, up at Camp Ripley, and one of the great things that we got to do, or the uh, Norex got to experience, was the partnership that the Minnesota National Guard has with the Serving Our Troops organizations and the big celebration of the American Meal. No, it's it's a it's a great it's a great exchange that has occurred 47 out of the 49 years that we've been conducting it. COVID had a vote for a couple of years, but uh, absolutely great opportunity. We have Norwegian soldiers currently up at Camp Ripley that are uh, doing some fantastic training with our soldiers, and uh, you know they're getting integrated in our weapon systems, communication systems, etc. And in return, the reciprocal part is we now have uh, pretty much a company of soldiers over in Norway. Um, receiving uh, the similar treatment, you know, but with skis and a little bit more snow. So it's just great. Uh, as a matter of fact, Command Chief Erickson is actually over there now as the uh, the uh, senior enlisted leader for that that uh, cohort. Yeah, what a great uh, what a great relationship and uh, just awesome training and good experience, a morale booster, if you will, for our soldiers and airmen inside the Minnesota National Guard. No, you're exactly correct, and uh, you know, there are, I'm sure there are individuals that have stuck around in the guard. I've heard stories from a few that uh, that was part of why they decided to reenlist. So it's just been a, it's been a great opportunity for us to just build up our uh, interoperability with uh, a partner nation. Yeah, I remember back in the day using that as a retention tool. But uh, that's a story for another day. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing right now. You're on the road again. Uh, great opportunity to do some traveling. And I understand that you're down in Fort Bliss in Texas. You did a, uh, a visit with the Soldier Recovery Unit. Tell us a little bit about that and then also about the non-resident Sergeant's Major Academy graduation. 
so first off, the Soldier Recovery Unit was formerly known as the Warrior Transition Battalion, and uh, name change, but mission kind of stayed the same. It's there to essentially uh, help wounded, ill, and injured recover from deployments for the National Guard and Reserve. And active duty, it serves a bit more of a mission um, where they have soldiers that are you know, injured in car accidents and whatnot that end up there. But um, so off of our deployment, uh, Task Force 194, when they were over in, you know, the various areas and uh, the central central command area of responsibility, we had uh, a number of individuals that ended up at the SRU in Fort Bliss and uh, a number of individuals up at uh, Fort Riley. Uh, the chaplain, myself, Chaplain Wynn, and I, along with uh, First Sergeant Johnson, visited the soldiers at Fort Riley uh, a couple weeks ago and just made sure we were passing on, uh, you know, all the, the warm wishes from Minnesota and making sure that their families are being taken care of. And uh, now that I'm down at Fort Bliss, I stopped at the SRU to see the one soldier that we have down here. For whatever reason, majority of ours end up at uh, Fort Riley, but we do have one that's down here. So I just stopped in to make sure he's being taken care of. And, uh, you know, his family back in uh, Minnesota is also being taken care of. And, you know, just passing on the resources that are available. Um, and then the second part is uh, we have a, the, the, I guess it's kind of like the pinnacle course for our professional military education is uh, the Sergeant's Major Academy. And for the majority of National Guard soldiers, they attend the non-residence course, which is 670 hours of distributed learning that they do over about 18 months. And then the culminating event for that is a two-week in-person course that they do down here at uh, Fort Bliss. And uh, so I was lucky enough to be able to come down here and see five of our uh, Minnesota National Guard soldiers graduate today. Yeah, that that's great. And that is the uh, the pinnacle of that professional development. So great for you to be able to be there and experience that graduation, show that support. And, and of course, checking in our soldiers that are in the soldier recovery unit. Now, we only have about two and a half minutes or so. And, and I want to make sure we talk about one of the big events that took place up here uh, as it relates to our 133rd. I understand that they had a big celebration, uh, centennial ex- uh, celebration. Tell us a little bit about that. So it was uh, the 133rd is the, actually the first federally recognized uh, Air National Guard wing, and they had their 100th anniversary come up, which unfortunately had to be um, postponed due to COVID. But uh, it was held on uh, this last April 9th, where we had about, uh, I think it was almost 500 uh, members on our guest attend. And the uh, keystone speaker for that event, or keynote speaker for that event, was Governor Walls. And then in addition to that, there were a couple of airmen that were actually um, received awards from Governor Walls during that event. So it was just a great event um, held at uh, St. Paul's Union Depot. And in the last uh, just over a minute here, uh, you've got two major events coming up as it relates to the Army National Guard. That is the best warrior competition, but then also for the Minnesota National Guard, so joint Army and Air, you've got the Joint Senior Enlisted Leaders Conference. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, those events up at Camp Ripley. So, again, uh, you know, uh, COVID kind of made us combine the two events this year. It's going to be uh, quite a undertaking for our operations uh, team that's uh, helping put this on, but we've got uh, 20 soldiers from Minnesota Army National Guard. They're going to be competing in the best warrior competition uh, 7 through 11 April, and then we have three uh, Croatians that are coming over to be a part of that as well, just, again, to give those indiv- those soldiers that opportunity to, you know, build interoperability with us and, you know, as a reward for them, essentially. Uh, and then running concurrently with that, we have our 
our joint senior enlisted leader conference, uh, 9 and 10 April. So we should have approximately 120, 130 uh, senior enlisted leaders from both the Army and the Air that will be uh, attending, you know, a two-day block of instruction, so to speak, up at Camp Ripley, you know, across the board with uh, General uh, Adjutant General Mankey being the, the keynote speaker for that event. Well, we look forward to getting the update on uh, the uh, best warrior competitor winners uh, the next time we have you on the show and uh, hearing a little bit more about the tasks that were accomplished during that Joint Senior Enlisted Leaders Conference. I think that's an important event and uh, one to kind of get on that shared message. So, uh, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper, thank you so much for joining us today on Minnesota Military Radio. Absolutely appreciate it. And I'd just like to say happy birthday to Badge and General, General Mankey, uh, his birthday's coming up this weekend. That was Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper, the Senior Enlisted Advisor for the Minnesota National Guard. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Dr. Alyssa Duran from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel John Knapp from the VA, uh, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper, my co-host today, Doug Wortham, Commissioner Larry Herkey of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we talk about the Minnesota Highway Patrol and tee it up for the troops. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.